thank you for your good, wonderful word. We thank you that it is timeless, that it is always our divine authority, that it always gives every Christian in every place, in every age, all that they need for faith and life. Father, as we hear your word this morning, I pray that it would be uh, sweet in its comforts, useful to us as believers in its exhortations, sweet to us as it leads us to repentance, and delightful to us as it leads us to lift up Christ as a church family, as a body of believers who wait eagerly for him to return. We pray all this in his name, for his glory, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn to uh, Matthew 6, verse 19. As uh, many of you are on more comfortable furniture this morning and in close proximity to a bathroom, I have taken the liberty of removing my usual time constraints. Lynette thought that was funny. <laughs> um, I, I'm sorry for those people, those few of you who are good enough to help us by being here this morning. Many people try and avoid the gaze of a preacher, and that's going to be harder for you today. But uh, you can trust that this sermon is for all of us as a church family. By now, most of us have experienced the intense news cycle surrounding the coronavirus between reports on the virus itself and government notices, we hear many stories about the various ways people are dealing with the virus and with the restrictions surrounding it. We have, of course, heard of the shortage of toilet paper and hand sanitizer. That's something that I'm afraid a few of you already know about firsthand. We've also heard stories of hoarders fighting to get everything that they think they need for themselves at the expense of others. News stations, of course, will always seek out the most outrageous stories of people who have gone to the greatest lengths to enjoy themselves and maybe even profit in this current situation. Uh, there are the videos of so many people uh, crowding the beaches in Florida for spring break. There is the story of the man who traveled across the U.S. buying up 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer, which he planned to sell at a significant markup before Amazon took down any opportunity to resell those items. A charlatan television huckster was ordered by the New York Attorney General to stop selling miracle coronavirus cures. It is in difficult times that people's deepest beliefs, their desires, their motivations are tested and are often exposed. People's priorities, what they most desire or most fear losing, are revealed in times of challenge or even crisis. Listen to what Peter writes when many believers were experiencing great trials and hardships. He says in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 7, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, 
If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter exhorts his readers in the joy they have in the gospel, not only to remember the great mercy that they have already received, but the hope of an imperishable inheritance that they have in Christ. Peter knows his readers need this encouragement as they are currently experiencing what he calls various trials. He, but Peter also says that those trials are necessary because they test the genuineness of faith. Trials are a fire that will test and expose our faith, whether it truly rests in Christ or in other things which that fire can burn up. Many of us have already faced the kinds of trials that burn like a fire through our lives. Testing the rootedness of our faith, we have faced loss, sorrow, maybe even persecution. Today, many people in this world have gone into trial mode. The global experience and response to COVID-19 has tested the hearts, both of believers and unbelievers and often revealed their deepest faith and hope. For many people in this world, hoarding goods, defying recommendations for the sake of their pleasure, raging against others, reveals a heart that loves this world and its materials. And of course they do. They have no hope for eternity. They have rejected God and chosen what they can gain for themselves in this life, and situations like wars and pandemics look to this world like a big, unfair spoiling of all those things that they had put their hope in for so long. Now, in our passage today in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues to examine our hearts, to ask us to consider what is really our motivation? What do we really love? What kingdom do we really serve? So with the backdrop of these present circumstances that are moving through the world like a fire to reveal people's hearts, let's consider our own hearts and see what it means to store up treasure in heaven, even in strange and uncertain times. In Matthew 6, 19 to 24, Jesus gives us three simple exhortations, which I think can serve to give us three simple questions. Let's look at each of them in turn. First, look at Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first question I think we can put to ourselves from what Jesus says here is, where is your treasure. Jesus tells us there are two places we can store up treasure, two kingdoms that we serve from which we desire to receive our reward. Jesus tells us to hold up his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven next to the kingdom of this world and ask which kingdom is it better to receive the rewards of? Is it better to pray to God, thy kingdom come and thy will be done and serve his kingdom? Or is it better to try and gain whatever we can for ourselves in this world to effectively say, my kingdom come, my will be done? If our main drive and most of our effort is spent in gathering and enjoying the things of this world for ourselves, 
whether it's money or the stuff that money obtains, then we are storing up treasure on earth. And Jesus tells us quite practically what will happen to everything we have gathered here. It will not last. In Jesus' day, moth and rust destroyed clothes and crafted goods. Thieves could in a moment rob someone of the precious goods they had worked their whole life to obtain. Since Jesus' day, the ways that we can lose our treasure on earth have only multiplied. There are stock market crashes, real estate price fluctuations, downturns in the economy. We all know that what Jesus says is true. This whole world knows the instability of its own wealth. But people try to forget. Because the goods of this world are all they feel they have to put their hope in. So whenever a thief or decay or a global emergency threatens all the treasure this world has gathered, it still feels somehow unexpected, like a broken cog in an otherwise perfect machine. But Jesus does not want us to forget that to store up your treasure on earth is always to gamble with your treasure. And as we will see next week, to focus all our energy on the treasures we have in this world will naturally lead us to anxiety as we try and control and protect what is uncontrollable and unprotectable. And of course, we cannot forget that death is the complete and sudden end to all worldly investments. Jesus explains this in a parable in Luke 12, 15 to 21. And he said to them, take care And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What moth and rust and thieves and worldly uncertainty do not take away from us in this life, death will steal from us. But Jesus tells us there is a kingdom in which greater treasure can be stored up that will not even be stolen by death. Jesus tells us to lay up treasure in his kingdom which lasts for eternity. What we have stored up with the Lord is secure with the Lord. There is nothing that can take away what God plans to give his people and what a sweet inheritance it is. Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that God would show the Ephesians just the whole extent of the treasure that they are being promised in Christ. He says in Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right 
hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Brothers and sisters, Our gospel one treasure is nothing short of being eternally united with Jesus as he reigns over all creation. Because of Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing. And greatest of all, we have Jesus himself, who invites us by his blood to come with him into the very presence of the Father. This inheritance of riches beyond imagining is ours that we have by faith in him. Because he died on a cross on Golgotha in our place because he received the full wrath of God that an enemy deserves. Because he rose from the dead, defeating the curse. Jesus offers to those of us who will go to hell without him an inheritance from God that he alone deserves. And it is ours if we believe in him. And then by his grace, we even receive the spirit now who works in us that we might live lives even now that store up eternal treasure in his eternal kingdom. So now if we look at the treasures of these two kingdoms, if it's just a question of simple math, we can see which is the better investment. We have earthly goods, your home, your television, your car, maybe even your yacht and your private island that are so unstable. And at best, you get to hold on to for a short lifetime or reigning over all the universe for an eternity with Jesus in the presence of your creator, Father, God. The math gives an obvious answer. So why then do so many people refuse? Why then do Christians ourselves struggle to choose to store up treasure in heaven? Because we store our treasures up in the place where our heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you do not delight in the gospel, if you do not love to hear, not just of what we have faith in, but what we have hope in through the death and resurrection of Jesus, there will be nothing that will entice you to set aside all of your labor in this world, building castles in the sand, to choose a city with foundations built by God that we inherit through Jesus. No matter how grand and sweet the promises we have in Jesus, we will not hear them unless we delight in the gospel itself and love Jesus through whom we will receive those promises. We will put our hope in what is in front of us, what we see on television, what our colleagues strive for, goods we can hoard for ourselves. But if we have faith and we delight in Jesus and the gospel, all our goods and our effort in this world is so worth giving up and handing over to store up treasure in his great kingdom. Because our actions are the fruit that reveal our hearts, Jesus exhorts us to consider what our actions say about our hearts. Things as basic as our budget and our schedule should indicate to us where we keep our heart. 
Does the way that we structure our day, the way that we spend our money, how we exert our effort reflect a heart that is already kept with Christ in his kingdom? Or does it reflect that our heart is still here in this world? If we have delighted in the gospel and have reorganized our lives here to store up treasure in Jesus' kingdom, we can be encouraged by Jesus' words that the God who sees in secret does not forget how we have loved and served his son. Even though we deserve nothing from him, he is offering us the eternal treasures of his kingdom when we live our lives for him and his treasure. God delights to be a good father to us and give us good gifts. And as he delights to see you spend this life honoring Christ and his kingdom, he will delight to give you every blessing and treasure in Christ for eternity. So consider what your treasures say about your heart and store up eternal treasure in the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus' second exhortation digs even deeper into our hearts. Look at Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Our second question this morning is this. What does your heart desire? When Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body, he means that the thing that we gaze at or desire has the power to affect our whole lives. If the eyes have been called the windows to the soul, Jesus tells us that the eyes are the windows that illuminate the soul inside of us. Light shines into a house through the window. If the window faces the sun, it becomes the means by which the house is made bright. If the window faces the clouds, it lets in darkness. When we want or desire something, we are placing it in front of our eyes and letting it shine into us. What you most desire, what you have ambition for, will shine into and affect every aspect of your life. You cannot separate yourself from the things you love. You cannot say, this isn't who I am. It's just what I enjoy. So Jesus wants us to think of what we gaze at, not just with our eyes, but with our heart. What do we most desire? When Jesus says the healthy eye fills the body up with light, the term for healthy eye that we see here means an eye singularly fixed and fixed on what is good, on God himself. This goes back to the Beatitudes, which say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You'll remember that to be pure in heart is to have a heart fixed on one thing. It is purely devoted to God. It has not been polluted with other desires. That's why a pure heart receives the reward of seeing God, because God is what the pure heart always looks to and wants. This is also true of a healthy eye. It is fixed singularly on God and the hope he gives us through the gospel. That is what the eye is pointed at. So the light of the gospel and our hope in Christ will then shine through and pervade our whole life. Everything we say and do will be touched by this gospel hope we have set before us. It is a wonderful picture of how those who trust in the gospel will be sanctified. And an eye fixed solely on God is also not distracted by other things. It's an eye that doesn't linger long on worldly goods and pleasures. And so that person whose eye is healthy is more free to store up treasure in heaven by being generous and caring for others. 
But when Jesus says your eye is bad, and your whole body will then be full of darkness, he's speaking of an eye that is polluted with worldly desire. The phrase bad eye or evil eye that Jesus references here actually referred to miserliness and greed. So what Jesus specifically has in view is an eye that rots out our lives by gazing long at the desires of this world. It's an eye fixed on advertising, on coveting what your neighbor has, on the wealth that we see around us in this world. This gazing long at the treasures of this world, longing for the lifestyle that it promises us, pours darkness into our body, a great darkness, Jesus says, pushing out any light of the gospel until we are entirely defined by our covetousness. And all of our actions and relationships are touched by our idolatry. So the second question that we can put to ourselves from Jesus' words is, what is your eye pointed towards? Or what does your heart desire? Do your actions and desires reflect eyes looking to God, devoted to his kingdom? Do you spend most of your day pointing your eyes towards or away from what would fill you up with light? More and more, let us physically point our eyes and truly point our hearts away from those things that distract us from the light and towards the light itself. David prayed to God, unite my heart to fear your name. Let's make that our prayer as well. That our eyes would be solely pointed to our hope in Christ, not distracted, so that his hope would permeate our whole lives. That we would not try and divide our hearts between God and other things, or try and point our eyes in two directions at once. In the third exhortation we have from Jesus this morning, we see how impossible it truly is to divide our hearts between God and anything else. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Our third question this morning is this. What do you serve? What Jesus really hammers home here is something that is true in all three of these exhortations we've encountered this morning, which is that there are only ever two options for us. Because there are only two kingdoms you can serve, and you cannot divide your allegiance between them. You cannot store up treasure in two places. You cannot direct your eye at the light and away from the light at the same time. And most clearly, you cannot serve two masters. In our hearts, we so often try to avoid thinking about God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world in this mutually exclusive way. We don't think of them as masters that we have to give our whole lives to. We think of them more like employers that we hire ourselves out to. We look at our days and our resources and we try and give to God the appropriate amount of service that he should have. Of course, really holy people are probably going to give a few extra hours to God's kingdom than the average person. But as long as we've given God some time, it's all right to spend the rest of the day serving other employers, like entertainment, ambition, or just possessions. In a very affluent society, it is a great temptation to treat the kingdom of Jesus Christ this way. It's something that we fit into who we are. It's the religious aspect of our already complex and multifaceted lives. 
Christianity just goes on the list of things that define who we are, like a line on a census. We're baseball fans, speedboat enthusiasts, movie lovers, collectors, oh, and also Christians. And this view puts us in the driver's seat. We are Lord of our lives, and Jesus is one of those things that we like to pay attention to. But this is not compatible with Jesus' own view of what it means to follow him. Jesus is king over a kingdom. And if he does not have our full allegiance, it's because we have given our allegiance to a different kingdom. The Bible is clear that there are two ways to live. Two directions we can choose to walk in and they do not run parallel. We are either in sin or in grace. We are living by the flesh or living by the spirit. Our identity is either in ourselves or in Christ. We either try to rule our own lives or we acknowledge the kingship of Christ over our lives. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. The Greek word here uh, used to be used in English more often as the word mammon. And it encompasses all the stuff and wealth that we gather in this world. Anything in this world that we hoard for ourselves, that we try and serve alongside of God, is the mammon to which we enslave ourselves. We cannot balance worldly goals and heavenly goals any more than the people of Israel were able to bow down to a golden calf and say that this was a feast to the Lord. Jesus says when we try and compromise and serve two masters at once, we ourselves will end up hating one of them. If your true allegiance is to Christ, you'll start to hate anything that would distract your heart from him. We will repent of our sin. We'll run away from it. We will run to what will help us love Christ more, always desiring to set our minds on what is true and noble and right and pure. Our allegiance to Jesus will shape our whole lives, including how we use and enjoy the things of this world. Likewise, if our allegiance is truly to the kingdom of this world, even if we claim to be Christians, we will wind up hating the true God. Because God will always appear to be limiting our freedom to do the things that our heart really loves. God will look like a big cosmic policeman blowing the whistle whenever we're really starting to enjoy ourselves. And we will either abandon him altogether or pick a new God that better accommodates what we truly love. What Jesus says is quite practically true. You cannot love and serve both God and wealth. Our cultural context makes this a hard teaching. As we know that many people are trying to serve both God and money, and some feel like they're doing it quite well. There are even Christian teachers that will say that serving God means serving your own best interests for wealth and possessions in this world. But heed this word from Jesus now. All three of these exhortations are meant to show that we cannot keep our love of wealth and stuff in one corner of our lives and keep God in the other. Both will command our whole lives. Either the gospel will put sin to death or this world and its pleasures will choke out the gospel like thorns. As Jesus said himself in the parable of the sower, some gospel seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew and choked them. And Jesus explains that this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. We must be vigilant 
in a world and in a society and even in a Christian culture that is currently so often rife with the temptation to put our trust in wealth and stuff, we must guard our hearts against this idol that would choke out the gospel in us. Do not make this world and its love of pleasure and wealth with all its hope in houses and cars and retirement and a busy social life the standard by which you evaluate your own love of money. Now, it is by no means a sinful thing to see the true pleasures of God's world as pleasing. And it is not a sinful thing to be responsible with money. Quite the opposite. Proverbs 6 tells us to look at the ant, to plan and store well for ourselves and our families. Paul tells Timothy church members must provide for their families. And also tells him that God made things good to be received with thanksgiving. But our goal in saving wisely, financially caring for our families, working hard, even enjoying good, pleasing things in God's world must always be rooted in our allegiance to Christ. He must be Lord over all these things. What we do with our money, when we wisely save it and wisely spend it on good things, should be ways that we seek to store up treasures in heaven. The way we use our money and enjoy this world are meant to elevate rather than replace Christ as master in our lives. To know Christ as our master is to remember that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All of our wealth is God's. He made it. And it will belong to his world long after we have ceased to hold possession of it. We are only stewards of his creation. And he gives us that stewardship so that we can use it to glorify him. And in using it well, we can store up treasure for ourselves in his kingdom. God gives you this world as a gift to handle for his glory. It would be wicked if we as stewards hoarded everything we were charged to manage and spent it all on ourselves. Or worshipped these gifts instead of the master who entrusted us with them. As stewards of God's creation, we praise God that he has given us even these worldly goods is an opportunity to glorify him. When we gather wealth, when we budget, when we make purchases, plan to support the gospel mission of his kingdom, all of this should reflect a stewardship of God's creation with a goal to serve and glorify him. To do this for our own good. Because God has allowed us to use these things to make righteous choices to store up treasure in heaven. Paul told the Corinthians that even though the Macedonian church was suffering hardship, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The Macedonians knew that to give to Christ's kingdom, to care for his church, was to store up treasure in heaven. And even in their trials, they begged for the chance to do that. Paul also exhorts the Corinthians to remember that generosity is rooted in the gospel itself. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Brothers and sisters, our king is not one sitting on a throne demanding we give and give while he hoards the treasure. Our king who was entitled to keep everything for himself as the creator of all things, 
was the first to give up all of his riches. His heavenly throne, his place in heaven, to come down and not just be among us, but to really be poor. He who made all things took the form of a servant and then gave even his life on the cross for the sake of his people. He gave all his riches for us so that in exchange we might get the full measure of heavenly treasure that is coming to him because of his righteous death and glorious resurrection. We get what he alone deserves, treasures we could never deserve as we are united with him as he reigns for eternity. When you are generous with your time, your money, your energy, when you give up your investments in this world for the sake of Christ and his church, you are leaving your deposit in the hands of the one who will respond with eternal blessings beyond our imagining. Christ is the king who gave everything for you. He will certainly be gracious to us when we give up everything this world loves for his sake and for his kingdom. Now this brings us back to our current circumstances that this world is experiencing with the spread of COVID-19. Many people in this world are already clearly seeing the limits of the things they place their hope in. Many people are unable to enjoy the wealth they have gathered. And more seriously, this present situation this world is in is threatening the economic stability even of financially responsible people. This likely will hit home for us personally. What Jesus has said is true. The treasures of this world are susceptible to many dangers. And this might mean a challenging time even for many of us in our church family. If you are struggling financially or starting to worry about what the future might hold for you, it is good first for us to remember that the treasures we have stored up with Christ can never be taken away. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, then you have an eternal inheritance with him that thieves and moths and rust and viruses and quarantines cannot touch. And if you continue, even in this challenging time, to faithfully love and serve him, you are still storing up a greater treasure than all the riches of this world. But what we as a church must also remember that it is at times like these that it matters more than ever that all of us hold the treasures of this world loosely. And that all of us are ready to each use what God has given us to store up treasure in heaven rather than here on earth. For many of us, this means caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church is a gift to each of us, even now, as we who have given up idolizing this world and its goods can now use those goods to bless one another. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. For many of us, to store up treasure in heaven rather than on earth 
to serve Christ rather than mammon will have very practical implications over the coming months. It will look like buying groceries, preparing meals, offering financial support, caring for your church family and helping members in your community, being a light in this world. Storing up treasure in heaven might even look like humbly and joyfully accepting the help of your church family. We might, by the grace of God, learn some valuable lessons as a church at this time that we can carry with us long after these days, Lord willing, are over. As we as a church look towards an uncertain future, may God work in us a great grace, using these times to help each of us to look less at the world and to put our eyes more singly on Jesus. And with our eyes fixed on him, to be knit together as his kingdom representatives on earth, using our time and money and energy to bless each other for the love and service of our master, our savior, and our king, Jesus Christ, who became poor for us so that we might enjoy eternal treasures in him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you offer us an eternal treasure that cannot be destroyed by the uncertainty of riches in this world. We praise you for the gospel of Jesus Christ who became poor, indeed even died on a cross to take exactly what we deserve, the full measure of your wrath. And that being absorbed, Father, we who deserve nothing from you but punishment are offered a sweet gospel in Jesus Christ with promises of a wonderful, rich, eternal inheritance. Father, may we cast our eyes on that now in this time of uncertainty and may we store up our treasure in heaven even by being a blessing to one another, by holding the goods of this world loosely, by being ready to give up eagerly to share what so many in this world are so desperate to hoard and to show love to each other because of the love we have for our great Savior who became poor that we might have all riches in him. We praise and glorify the name of Jesus Christ for all of this. In his name we pray, amen.